The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to be in Corinthians chapter 3. If you're new, glad you're here. My name is Ryan and I'm your pastor. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the books of the Bible so that we can grow and be more like God. And that's what we're talking about today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can flip there as I pray. Um, you can keep your eyes open. You can look up. You can close them, whatever you're comfortable with. But I need, I need God here deeply in my heart on this one. Uh, Father, there is so much life going on right now. There are so many people at different phases and different steps and different patterns of growth and failure and successes. This morning, Lord, we need, I need, we need to see you raise up in us the ability to be who you've created us to be so that we can lift up and elevate the body of Christ here at the chapel family, so that we can walk with people where they are and not try to force some other expectations on them. Lord, as we work through this passage this morning, speak to us, change us, be the God that we need in this moment. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. I want you to take a close look, because right now what you're looking at is someone who's 25% of the way through a professional parenting class, which means I'm 25% ready to be a professional parent. Don't tell my four biological kids who have had a failure as a parent, now I will finally know what I'm doing. Um, it's interesting. I was thinking about our lives, and, and the first service was very subdued. The message was subdued, not the people. The people were a joy as always, although second service, you guys are way better. Yeah, that's pride. You sin. Jesus loves you. Um, but some things kind of shook me up in between services. And, and I think sometimes we forget that we're the family of God. And we just use that as a term. Like, family of God. Yeah, we're the church. We're the family of God. The family of God. The family of God. But if you're a family, it means that, like, somebody is in the womb. That's someone who maybe doesn't yet believe in Jesus. But, like, God's like, I got this. This one's on the way. There's a pregnant gal who goes, goes to the first service. And she's like at that pregnancy phase. I said, how many weeks do you have left? You look terrible. She said, four. I said, man, that must be miserable. She said, it is. And I'm like, I'm so glad I'm a guy. I was saying all the wrong things. And, uh, and you know what expectations we have for a baby in a womb? Like very low. Like the fathers don't have many expectations. If you've not noticed this, a pregnant woman turns the baby daddy into like a weird, googly, screaming out of belly sort of person. That's all we do the whole time. We just, hey, in there, Jesus loves you. That's what we're just doing. That's all I did. Maybe you did something else. But someone told me that babies might be able to hear you, so I talk to all the babies. If you're pregnant here and I notice, I'll talk to your baby. If I talk to your baby and you're not pregnant, you're free to hit me. Okay? But there's no expectations. None. And then the baby's born. And, um, and we treat them like babies, which is good. It's good that you take a baby that's helpless and you, what do you feed a baby? Milk. Guess who can't make milk? Has two thumbs. This guy can't make it. I could buy it at Costco. Wrong kind, probably. 
as cow's milk. It's meant to take a 150-pound animal and turn it into a 2,000-pound animal. I don't want to do that to my brand-new baby newborn. So you, you get the milk of the mama, mama milk, or you get formula, and you get one of these, right? And there's supposed to be milk in here, but they didn't, we didn't put the formula in because it probably would spoil. And it's cute. It's cute when a baby says, and it's so adorable how, like, helpless babies are. And it's weird that the things we clap at, I remember, you know, one of our babies, when they struggle with eating, or in the very beginning, your first kid, you're like, oh, my goodness, you ate two ounces. College kids, two ounces for them is, you know what I mean? <laughs> of milk. You guys need Jesus again. <laughs> Jeez Louise today. And um, what's weird, though, what's weird is if what if all I ever did was grow up and just, what if it's a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, like, you can kind of stretch it, like, okay, five, maybe something, and they needed it, but, like, if you're rolling into middle school, and your mom packs you a packed lunch, and it's a bottle with mama milk or formula, and if you're rolling into college and you're still doing it, and I know that there's these weird, like rappers do this thing with pacifiers, and I'm like, I don't get it. Like if you're going to do a pacifier rapper person, put on a diaper so I'm not as confused. I don't know what's going on. But today we're talking about raising a family God's way, not the world's way. And I, I need us because of what's in my mind right now to think through a healthy family of God picture. Because Paul says this, is the word of God. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul's talking to a church that had known Jesus, loved Jesus, pressed into the things of Jesus. But he says, I can't even talk to you this way because you're infants. So I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. They were not ready for it. They were not spiritually in Christ. So God, Paul said, more milk. You, all, you can't even handle the rest. More milk. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You're still young. You're still new to this. And I need you to understand something. It's okay to be new to this thing we do called church. Because we do some crazy things here that don't make sense to you if you didn't grow up in this culture like me. But so often what we do is that somebody comes into this family and they should be getting milk and we try to give them a 42-ounce cowboy bone-in ribeye from Ruth's Chris slathered with butter and garlicky stuff. I'm hungry. <laughs> and they come in, they're like, you're a Christian now. Now it's time to take all these classes of theology. Open your mouth. Take that steak. And we don't give them the grace to say, no, they just need the, you just, this is what they need. And we expect people that come in to know everything. You guys, Christianity has some weird things. And if you grew up in the church, you don't know this. But if you're like me and you came into the church later in life or you're here and you're thinking, I don't know, maybe this church thing, there's a reason why like some songs are great for, for people who have been in the church for a long time and some songs are absolutely more terrifying than the It movies. Like if you walked in here this morning and we were singing the song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Like, it's, you just, if you're brand new and it didn't have the creepy organ music, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Now, could you imagine if you just said that in a different voice? There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We're going to plunge sinners into the fountain of blood. This is Christianity, and we forget that it sounds crazy if you've never been here because we oftentimes take someone who is just born into the family and we throw them all the way to the steak, potatoes, and highly not good digestible food groups. Now, eventually, you have to get there, Paul's saying. Eventually, if you don't want your life to be terrible, if you don't want your life to continue falling off the rails, the relationships, the, uh, the, the opinions, the thoughts, the addictions, the actions, you have to eventually grow toward that. You have to stop sucking on the bottle. That's not me being a middle schooler, but the middle schooler inside me is snickering at that double entendre. Because if there's jealousy and strife among you, you're still stuck in baby phase. You want to know how my kids solve their problems? Someone takes something, and that person wanted it, and what do you think they do? Do you think they sit down and reason? Do you think they sit down and say, my dear sibling, why dost thou taketh this thing from me? Do you think that's how any, no, because we're parents. We know how this goes, right? It's something like a scene out of Mean Girls, and one kid turns into a puma, and then goes for the jugular, and then they come crying. This one bit me, this one hit me, this one scratched me, this one said this, this one said that. But you know what that's called? Family. You know what I don't do? I don't try to treat my kids different from what they are, even though it's tempting. It's tempting because this is what we say to kids. When, they get, when you get some semblance that they can be an adult, you say, grow up. I'm trying to resist that. I'm like, stay a kid. My kids that want to grow up, they're ready. Like, I want the next thing. I want to have YouTube, not kids' YouTube. I want to have this. Not that. I want to have more privileges. I say, buddy, the only privileges that you're going to get, you're, the ones you're asking for, are called bills, a mortgage, and stress, and an inbox that never ends. Just love long division. <laughs> but what happens is this. We forget that this is a process. Paul says, you guys, Corinthians, you shouldn't be on milk. You should be further ahead. By saying that, he's saying there is a time to be on milk. There's a time to be on Gerber. There's a time to have oversteamed broccoli. There's a time for pasta that's been chewed up like a bird and spit back out. There's a time for your first chicken nugget. I know some of you only know about chicken nuggets, but you move on from those to steak and more delicious things. If you're one of the vegans in here, I'm sorry. You need Jesus like the prideful people in the beginning. And then sushi. You land at sushi, you're mature. Okay? And I know all you Floridians are saying... We don't eat our fish unless it's cooked. Well, you just haven't experienced life. <laughs> All the way back to the pa passage. If you are constantly stuck in one pattern of behavior, ask yourself, have I taken the correct step for the age that I'm at? And if you're a born-again, brand-new believer, it might just be it's one step at a time. Don't listen to the Christians that want to take you from babyhood into adulthood in one week. It does not happen. It will not work. It will hurt you. But we do it. And it scares me. So Paul wants to, to tell us and teach us. He's like, I'm going to show you how the family of God works. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I, Paul, planted. So Paul's job was do this. Apollos, his job, water that. But God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. We're just a team, a family. But without God giving the growth, nothing happens. And each one of us, we do our job according to what God has given us, and he will give us wages according to, his, to our labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. Our job is to build each other up, to help each other grow. Some of us are seed planters. Some of us are waterers. You know what? Spiritual gifts are not listed in the Bible. God does not look down. And when you come to know Jesus, you're in the family of God. You place your trust in Christ. God does not say, you know what I'm going to give you? The gift of nagging. The gift of gossip. The gift of division and slander and anger and rage toward others. The gift of control. Those aren't gifts. But so often in churches, we're so good at them. Nobody gossips like church people. Have you noticed that? Like the place that actually talks about and prohibits gossip, we're the worst at it. But the other things we can kind of get away with and hide, right? Here's what I want you to think about today. What's your role in helping the family of God grow organically? Because some of you are are planters, some of you are waterers, and I, I need you to hear this. It's not just those who preach or teach or sing or lead a group or teach kids. Every one of us has a role that God has uniquely gifted you for. And if we can't figure out and work in our role, then none of us will get to grow to what God has created and designed us to become, which is why sometimes we get stuck drinking the bottle, or sometimes we get stuck here. And if you're stuck, remind yourself, I'm stuck here. What's going on? What food am I addicted to? What food do I need to move on to next? Where do I need to learn and grow? Who do I need to put around me? And that begins to change. Because what I'm not doing is I'm not telling my one-year-old daughter, Bella, to start eating things that are beyond her reach of eating. I'm not. I'll tell my 10-year-old, eat this. Try this. He, it took 10 years to get, me to, eat him, to get him to eat a sandwich. But now he loves some sandwiches. He'll eat a taco from Bar Taco with, like, pickled onions. But he couldn't eat a PB&J to save his life. I'll tell you what. But now he's learning. He's growing. He'll eat sushi with me because he loves the Lord. And I'm, we're growing him up. And he looks like a, a little man now. You know when you, you who are parents, you look, at your fir- you look at your baby, and maybe this is just me, but my first kid, I looked at him, and all my kids, right when they're born, I think, you don't even look human. That's what I think. And I think that of your baby. So when you ask me to visit your baby and pray over them in the hospital, I look at them, and all I can see in my brain is, this is an alien. A parasite. It was eating you for nine months, and now you've brought it into the world to eat the rest of us. They just don't look natural to me, babies. I know you're thinking, that sounds insensitive. It is. But they become cute at like one, like when they start like doing something besides like just looking like newborns. Newborns are weird. They're crusty. And, um, and I thought this is how dumb I am because I'm, I'm half Asian and my babies were all born with Asian eyes. I thought clearly they're Asian. I didn't realize that all babies were just swollen with Asian eyes when they're born. I thought, my genes won, and they didn't, if you've seen any of my kids. My genes lost every battle. I thought there would be a recessive short Filipino gene that my kids would get and be strong instead of lanky, but they're all lanky, okay? And then they get cute, and then Bella just learned to walk. Is, is Bella here today? Oh, you left her with your mom? If you see her now, she walks like a drunken sailor. It is the cutest thing you've ever seen. She just can pull herself up. And you know what I'm not doing? 
Like, she can barely hold herself up. So I'm not doing very often a tap to the head to knock her over. Because I think that's funny. Can you stand up, maybe? She stands like this. I'm like, let's see how good you are with balance. She falls down. I don't do that. Just don't call CPS on me because they're going to take him from your, my care. And then I'm also getting licensed to be a foster parent, so they're going to make a U-turn and drop him back up in my house, okay? <laughs> so that's, that's how that's going to work in my head. That's why I'm taking the class. So if you take my kids, they're going to call me. I'll be like, yes, I'll accept a six-year-old girl named Savannah Grace Tarona. Bring her on home. <laughs> anyway, it's, so I don't, I don't, I don't, thump, I just, I just, <laughs> and um, I'm trying to teach her to walk more efficiently than she does. I don't need to teach my oldest three how to walk, just her. Sometimes though we want to short circuit the process. Sometimes you're in a phase of life and you're like, okay, I've got all of these fears. I've got all of these worries. I've got all these unknowns in the future. What, how can I handle this? And I did this this morning to someone like, you can't tell them that I told you this and you don't know who it is, so good. But this morning someone had a list of things that they worry and fear about. And I saw that they were distressed. And this is part of why this sermon's entirely different than the first sermon, because a couple things rocked me in the between services. And I said, um, what's that? What's going on? Why you got the sadness? And they said, this is, I'm going through a lot, and this is all my worries and fears. I said, you wrote it down? Said, yeah, I don't want to forget them. I was like, oh, trust me, I've been around a little bit. You ain't going to forget them. Worries and fears haunt you. I said, I got a different plan for them, and I stole them. <laughs> I said, they said, where are you going with those? Give them back. I said, no. And the good thing about being six foot six is you can be childish and hold things out of reach of pretty much everyone. <laughs> and I was rustling around, and I went and I got a hammer out of the tech booth, and I walked out with a hammer. I said, what are you going to do with a hammer? I said, you wait. I need a nail now. I got a nail. And I walked. Guess where? Can, do you know where this is going? Christian people know exactly where this is going. Right? Where is it? You see it up there, right? Somebody's worries and fears, and I'm going to take it down. You clap. Yeah, huh? Clap. Oh, clap, yeah. I'm not going to do this youth group style. In a youth group, you'd make everyone come up here. You nail your fears, sins, worries, hopes, all this. You nail them up there. I'm not going to make you do that. And I'm going to take this down because um, they don't really stay up there. Jesus was nailed on the cross, and part of what growing up in Jesus is is taking all of our failures, all of our worries, all of our inadequacies, all of our everything, and we continually put them up there. And then Jesus pays for them and says, I'm with you. I know this is terrifying. I know you want to punch that person in the face. I know you want to quit your job and flip your boss's desk, but I'm with you and I want to show you a better way. And it doesn't start with you starting from right here and then jumping to adulthood. It starts with you being a toddler, a baby in Jesus. And God isn't expecting you to be perfect. He's expecting you to take one step at a time. And you know how babies first start walking? It's not by themselves. How do babies start walking? It's like this. There's someone here. There's dad to do this. There's big brother to trip you. There's mom to comfort you. And you pick them up, and they do it again. But it's a family effort. And in Christianity, Paul's saying, I just have one part of this family role. You have one part of this family role. You have one part of this family role. But you've got to, we've got to do this together. Otherwise, we're just going to be toddling around, drinking out a bottle, sucking for the rest of our lives. And that suck was meant both ways. Sorry if you have preteens. Preteens, don't use that word. I don't let my own kids use that word. It's a bad word in my house. Okay, moving on. And then he switches from an organic, like it's family. We grow. God causes it. Don't You don't let other people. God causes it. 
And then he switches gears to a, a more of a designed, inorganic illustration. This is how God does his building, according to the grace given, a grace of God given to Paul. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day of the Lord will disclose it. God says, I know you're building something. You're trying to grow up a certain way. And when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus is revealed and history has a bookmark in it, and we move to eternity forever with no more presence of sin in our lives, God's going to say, okay, now we're going to see what everyone did. What was the work that you gave God? Because God wants us to work for him, not under the pressure of if we work hard enough, God will then love us, but the fact that God gave us gifts. The Bible says we are his workmanship created to do good works. And I don't really like the translation that's in English. It says literally we are God's poema, where we get the word poem. God's writing out the beautiful artistic story of your life. And then he created us to write out beautiful artistic stories in other people's lives that reflect his love for us. And the amazing thing is, is that God's given us all of these incredible gifts and we become obsessed with the gifts and we forget the giver. We think the car or the money or the status will finally give us what we need. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm here and I'm for you. I'm going to help you walk. I'm going to help you toddle. I'm going to help you say your first words. I'm going to help you when you're teething. I'm going to help you when you go to school for the first time and somebody's just a terrible person to you. And in case you haven't figured this out, I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about you. I'm going to help you when you first become a follower of Jesus. And you listen to things, and you don't know what the fountain of blood is, but you're, you're going to stick with this. I'm going to be with you when you're looking around at people who are worshiping, and you're brand new into this thing. And, and you're like, I just wanted to read my Bible and like connect with people who are about love. And now there's these people. Why do people sway? Does everyone in the front row have heartburn? Why are they holding their heart? I don't know. <laughs> That's these people. They worship heavily. And then you're going to grow a little bit more. Man, I did my first Bible study. Everybody knew so much. They said to flip to Habakkuk, and I didn't know what that meant. I thought that was a different language. Here's a newsflash. It is. That's why you don't meet anyone named Habakkuk nowadays. I mean, it's technically in two languages. It's in Hebrew and then homeschool languages because um, they named their kids Habakkuk. That was a homeschool joke just for you, Eric. And then, um, then you grow up a little bit more and you learn, like, the books of the Bible. There's 66 of them written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years. And some of them are poetry. Some of them are stories. Some of them are wisdom. Some of them are confusing. And there's letters. I, I think I get this. There's 66 of these. And in the beginning, if you're like me, as a new Christian, I was like, day one, they said, okay, you're a follower of Jesus now. You cannot have sex outside of marriage. And I said, okay, point me to all the passages and books of the Bible that talk about sex because I want to learn. You said God created it. That's what my youth pastor told me. God created sex. I said, I want to learn how he created it so I could be a professional when I get married. And then you want to learn about wisdom and morality, parenting. Isn't it weird that so many of us kind of meandered away from Jesus when we, uh, when we went to college maybe? Some of you walked away. And, and here's how I know, because I'm a pastor. I didn't do this, but because I'm a pastor, I saw the trends. All my friends who are in college, and I've seen this in ministry for 20 years now, people evacuate the church, and then all of a sudden they start popping out babies, and they think, oh, 
we must do something about these children. Let's go to church. Because nobody can beat fear and shame into a kid like the church can. So you bring them here. But at the chapel, we teach them about the love that Jesus has for them, that God is their forever friend, that he wants to be there for them in the good times and the bad times, that he is the ultimate gift giver, but he is the ultimate gift, that we get him, and that's better than all. And we can try to build these things. We can try to bolster our lives to look a certain way with, with shiny objects, with hay, with wood. Like, look at how good of a Christian I am. You know who does that? What phase of life that is in spiritual growth development? It's the same phase as in life. It's called high schoolers. It's a brilliant phase you high schoolers go through. And I went through it too. Middle school, you're like, who am I? I don't know who I am. And then in ninth grade, you're like, I know exactly who I am, smarter than my parents. And we get it. We were it. We are smarter than our parents. And then you go to college and you feel lost again. Who am I, Lord? I don't know. And then you graduate college and you have to get a real job. Then you realize your mom was the smartest human you ever met in your life. And you go back to say, Mom, I was so dumb. And now I'm so smart. Please help me. That's the life cycle. And then you become a parent. And then it starts over. The life cycle in the church is the same. But some of us have forgotten. We think that we're just kids and that this is like some giant orphanage where we just like drink one little thing and eat one meal once a week and then we try to make it till next Sunday. No, no, we need a family to help us build what is true and good and pure and things that won't burn away because at the end of the day, the things that we have now are distant memories in the future. As a matter of fact, 100, 150 years from now, most likely not a single person will even remember you. Let that sober you up real quick. You might be the next president of whatever. Then they'll remember you in the textbooks. But like, how much do we know Abe Lincoln? Like we read a book about him. You're forced to memorize some dates. I literally don't know if he was actually honest, but I'm hedging on probably not because he was a human. I don't know if he was kind to his wife. I don't know how many kids he had. And it's the same is going to be for you. And God says, I want you to build something that's actually going to last. Something that when, when you die or when Jesus returns, you're going to land in the kingdom of heaven face to face with God and all the believers throughout the span of history and the things that you developed and cultivated, you're going to have with you. You're going to be kind and merciful and generous and you're going to have the language. And some of you are like, wait, how does this work in heaven? How, what do you mean? Like, isn't everyone going to be kind? Yeah, but just because you're kinder there than you are here doesn't mean that we're all the same. We don't pop in there like automatons. I am now in heaven. We all look the same. Yay. No, we, guess, guess what? I'm going to sound like me, and Bree's going to sound like her. She's probably going to have short hair still, and I'm probably going to get my hair back that I've lost. I won't need my glasses anymore. I'm trying not to use them now because I'm pretending to be cooler than I really am. And I'm going to have interests. I'm going to play basketball again in heaven with Jake, who I just found out plays basketball. I had no idea that you were amazing at basketball. I'm not going to play in this life because I just did this playing basketball with my Achilles. Next life, game on, homeboy, because guess what? In the kingdom of God, I'm still 6'6 six, six plus change. You're still going to be whatever you are now, probably taller than I realize, but from my perspective, it looks like you're 5'10". Okay? But we're going to jam this out. Are you 5'10"? 5'11". Driver's license heights. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> so this is, 
This is what family is and does, and we are unique. And let's build up in our lives the language to speak and to love and to have forgiveness and kindness, the ability to build relationships, because we're not just going to land there and be, like, amazing at everything we stunk at in life. This is our training ground, our growing ground, where we are learning to toddle and walk and run and play and create things that push back the darkness and create things that sustain healthy relationships. This is where we get to train and God gets to shave off the edges and he's doing it for each person uniquely within a family context so that we can help others do likewise. So when we get to heaven, like there's certain conversations where I just can't wait to have not the I told you so ones, those are back there in my sinful brain, but the ones where it's just someone says, remember this time you did this? And it's going to be things that we may never know, because a lot of my surprises in ministry after years and years are the, the kids who are now older adults in their like 30s, good grief, saying, do you remember that one time? I was like, I don't. Well, it just meant a lot to me. Like you sat there and no one else would. You gave me a hug, a church hug, one arm side hug in youth ministry. <laughs> Because we're church people, we do weird things. You embraced me with love, and nobody would. You stood up for me when everyone was pressing me down. This is what it means to be the family of God and build up that type of thing, because that doesn't burn away. Your, your Volkswagen's going to be gone. Your Mustang is going to be dead. All your houses are going to be destroyed, probably sooner than later, because we live in a swamp, and we have hurricanes. All these things that we're putting all of our time and effort to, they're fading. Build the things that last for eternity. Build relationships and friendships rooted in love and forgiveness and kindness and mercy, rooted in what Jesus has done for you. Now you get to do on behalf of Jesus for others. Because don't you know that you are God's temple? Verse 16, that God's spirit lives in you. If anyone tries to come at God's temple, God will destroy it, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. There's this saying, you know, I don't know if kids even say it, but I say it. Come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. Now, I say it twofold. One is I have an unhealthy um, confidence in my abilities to defend myself. But the other reason I say it is because it's, I'm literally God's property. The worst thing that someone could do to me is kill me or maim me terribly. That's the worst thing. So if someone wants to threaten me, like, I'll tell Amy, if someone comes in, She's like, what if someone comes in, like, the chapel is one of those unfortunate churches where someone comes in and tries to do a shooting. What would you do? Because she's like, are you going to pack a gun? I was like, have you seen how tight my jeans are in the thigh areas? I can't pack a gun here anymore. i got to go on keto before I can hide a gun somewhere. So what would you do? I would just get in front. I mean, choose me! Are you going to leave your four kids and your wife all alone? With that big old insurance policy and the God of the universe watching after you? Yes! <laughs> Won't you miss us? Probably not. Like, I love you. And I'm going to be like looking down like, don't do it, Silas. I don't know how it works. And I read this book every day. It says I get to pray for you from where I'm going to be. But if, but if I love you this much and we'll do these many things for you, I'm a peon, a shell of a human being. I'm so frail that if a, a car hits me, I could die. God is the God of the universe, and he says, I'm with you. I've got you. I've got your situation. I'm helping you grow, and I'm surrounding you with a tribe of people because we all need a tribe of people. And if I've learned that in anything practical lately, it's been the foster parenting class that we're going through. 
My goodness, you guys, the video they had us watch. These kids, and you're thinking, like, oh, here we go. He's going to guilt me into fostering. I'm not going to guilt you into fostering. If you're not called to foster, don't foster. If you're called to foster and you're not fostering, you are sucking. It's time to eat something meatier, not a bottle. I'm doing that just for the little kids who are going to go home and tell their parents that things suck, suck. I can't say it anymore. So here's what we do. We, re- we realize, I'm God's temple. Nothing can stand against me. I've got a whole tribe of temple people around me. Let's do this thing and walk one step at a time, not judging people, beating people, oppressing people, shaming people, guilting people. Let's actually grab hands, help them up, teach them what the next step is, not the step 10 years down the road, but step from Sunday to tomorrow, Monday to Tuesday. This is what it means to walk with Jesus, for Jesus, toward Jesus. And we're going to do this like a team. And don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, Paul says. If you think you're wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. If you want to be in Christ, let your mind go and say, I will believe what Jesus tells me. I trust the word of God. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Humans are always plotting on how we can try to take things over, be the best version of yourself, yada, 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 yada. Instead say, God, I I need your help. I bring you nothing, and you give me everything. And I'm a toddler. I'm a five-year-old. I need help. And sometimes we regress, just like in real life. We've all seen the person that's 65 and acts like they're 22. We get it. But we, we say, okay, let's not do that. God's made you for more spiritually, not physically or emotionally. He made you for more. Let's move forward. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. Verse 21, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or present, or the future, all is yours because you are Christ and Christ is God. Literally, God says, you, you want to know how much you've got, how much power, you, how much power, how much authority, how much of the things? It's all the things. I'm going to read this from the message because I like the way that this, this puts that same text. So just listen. It's not on the screen behind me. It says, I don't want to hear any of you bragging about yourself or anyone else or what you've got or what you've done. Everything is already yours. It's a gift. Paul, Apollos, Peter, gifts. The world around us, it's a gift. Life, death, the present, the future, all of it is yours, and you are privileged to be in union with Christ who is in union with God. Just right before service, some of you are already singing. I saw a bicycle out there, the owner of a bicycle with green neon rims. Are you in here? Is that your bicycle? You're welcome. Anyway, I jumped on that bicycle, and I was riding it around. It's going. And then... um. Someone else accused me of stealing. Don Nanali, he's stealing the bike. And her husband rightfully instructed Don of the sermon notes. In Christ, all things are mine. Guess what that means? If Rafi's hungry and wants to come over and crash my fridge, if he can make it through my locks, my door, my windows, and my shotgun, he can have whatever he wants in my fridge. (laughs) It's yours, brother. Because God gave me the money to put the food in that fridge, and God gave you the willpower to get through my locks, my doors, my windows, my shotguns. You go for it. You know why the early church didn't have needs? Because someone said, I got this need, and someone says, I got that, I got that solved. But when nowadays, we try to confuse everything. We've forgotten about this whole family process, and we try to make everything like a budget meeting and do this event and maybe get this outreach and this thing, and that'll work there. No, let's just be the family of God and like 
care for people, pray deeply for people, press into people's lives like a real family. Because you know what happens in a family? You get spit up on. You're gonna, it's going to happen spiritually. If you get close to another Christian, something's going to happen in their life or your life, and it's going to be like, ah! And you got to be like, okay, clean it up. Wipe them up. Let's go. You're going to get pooped on. It's one of my biggest fears. I don't know why this is in me as a foster parent. I've never changed a diaper of someone who wasn't one of my little brothers or my own kids. So I keep asking my wife, I'm like, hey, isn't that going to be weird? Like, if we got to change a kid's diaper who's got poop that's not from our family? And then when I said it out loud, I thought, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's what that was. That was dumbness. Just the things you don't think about until you're in a foster class. Now, thankfully, I've come from, like, different backgrounds because, like, I'm half Filipino. My brother's half black, and my youngest brother's just, uh, I don't know what he is. He's so young. He's just, he's in the Navy, so he makes poor choices, okay? <laughs> Sorry. I've run out three or four people for making military jokes, so every once in a while I want to try it out to see how many people I can get to leave the chapel. I love the Navy, the Air Force, and the Army, and the Marines. Am I forgetting somebody? The Coast Guard, who everyone always forgets. Apologies, Coast Guard. You're my peeps. Let's all be together. Let's do the roles we were designed for. Let's carry each other along this path and stop beating each other up, kicking each other, pointing at other families. Oh, that family over there, that church gathering doesn't do this. That family over there doesn't do that. You know what? Every family's jacked up. Let's all walk as jacked up families toward Jesus, our not jacked up Savior, who was jacked up on our behalf on the cross so that we could be made perfect in God the Father's eyes forever. And that's the freedom we get to walk in. None of my kids are scared of me leaving them and forsaking them, and I'm just a human. How much more, how much more can God do that through all of us if we turn around to the people around us, left, right, behind, in front of us, and say, I'm with you, fam. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's good to just think through things. And right now, there are people in this room with needs. There are people in this room with hopes and fears and worries. There are people in this room with problems that they don't have the answer to. And, and so many people, like me, God, I try to jump ahead. Help me to grow one day, one step, one meal at a time. And help me to not put my growth on, on just other people. Help me to, to press into you. Help me to not try to grow in my own strength, Lord. Help me to depend on you, to look to you for my sustenance, for my food, for my strength, for my emotional rehabilitation, for my spiritual momentum forward. Help me to not lean on my own understandings, but in all my ways to acknowledge you and that you direct my paths. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.